Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Barry, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, it feels like it's been about a month since we've uh, gotten together to do the Pistols Firing Podcast. Uh, how are you doing today? Uh, good, great. Yeah, it was actually it was just last week, but it does feel like forever ago. We had to go uh, early last week because I was out of town, and three basketball games have been played since then. It has not, <laughs> not gone well, Carson. So I'm doing great. I'm doing much better than than Cowboy basketball. I tell you, since we taped on Monday and the uh, losing streak the men's basketball team is on right now, it really does feel like it's been much longer than that because there's been just so much happening. And uh, I got engaged since we last talked. Uh, it's, been yes. a, it's been a wild time for me as well, <laughs> officially off the market. Um, but no, it's been uh, it's an exciting time for me. Now, let, let's address the elephant in the room. Did you, did you come back injury-free? From skiing. That's always a concern for me. You're, you're the oldest young guy I know. So, Carson, this time I didn't really have a choice. I came back with the least amount of ailments. My body felt 100% waking up Friday morning after skiing because the first day we were there, they got like 15 inches of snow. The terrain parks were underneath everything. We were at Red River. There's not a lot of trees to get out into to hide from it. It was knee-deep everywhere. We only skied a few runs the first day. And then the second day, we just cruised down groomers because terrain parks were still closed. There wasn't a lot. For, for me to do to get myself into trouble injury-wise. So, um, yeah, it was a very, very basic ski trip, I would say. We're going again here in a few weeks, and uh, I'm going to see if I can ramp it up to make up for lost time this last trip. Yeah, we got plenty to make up for. But before we get into basketball, we got uh, some contract information on Brian Nardo and, and much, much more. Let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Again, I... Every time I see Mike Boynton on the sideline, I see one of those Cursive Cowboys polos. Anytime I see Kenny Gajewski rocking his gear on the sidelines, I got. Th- I think I just got to get to Chris's University Spirit, get the latest gear. So if you're in town, got to see some baseball, some softball, or the end of the men's basketball and women's basketball season. The women's basketball is crushing it right now. We'll, we'll talk about that too as well, perhaps when we get to Bullets and BBs. But before we get to Stilly, or when you get into Stilly rather, make sure to shop at Chris's University Spirit. We appreciate them as always. Well, Colby, the last time we talked, I mean, you and I were just gushing about OSU men's basketball, the fact that Mike Boynton had finally figured things out. His philosophy was coming to fruition with his length and athleticism and defensive prowess. And the train has fallen completely off the track since then, Colby. And I think one way to get into it is, for me, it's not necessarily the fact they're losing games. It's, it's the Big 12. It's a tough schedule. It's who they've lost to, like like the West Virginias of the world, and how they've lost, meaning the TCUs of the world. And, of course, they lost to Kansas at home as well, which was kind of a, a much tighter game than those last two, Colby. But, Colby, they, not only are they losing games, they've been non-competitive in doing so. And that, to me, is by far the biggest concern. 
Yeah, the, the Kansas game didn't bother me a ton, right? Because you're coming off the winning streak. You know, you know it's going to end at some point. You're not just going to keep winning forever. Kansas is one of the best teams in the country. They've got 15 quad one wins. Next highest in the country is nine. Kansas is legit. So you play hard. The end of the first half was tough. The two consecutive threes. You get in, you know, officiating. We can talk about that. But it was the turnovers. It was sloppy basketball. But, you know, you think it's just a bad game. And then Saturday happens. And you're like, okay, Mike Miles is back. TCU's feeling it a little bit, but this is this is teetering on the edge of turning into a slump and becoming concerning. And then West Virginia happens on Monday night, and oh, buddy, that was rough. I mean, that was rough from the jump. Uh, it was 16-14, I think, when West Virginia went on that crazy run and stretched the lead out to nearly 20, and then the lead just kind of hovered there most of most of the way. Uh, it was a tough one to watch. I, I didn't make it to the end. Credit to any Oklahoma State fans who did. It, it was tough, Carson. The the Kansas and TCU losses, I know they got destroyed by TCU, but I think Kansas and TCU are the two best teams in the conference. And to tell you the truth, I don't even know if it's in that order. I think incredibly highly of TCU when they're fully healthy. Uh, I remember what they did to Kansas earlier this season when they were fully healthy, just absolutely beat their brains in. I think TCU might be the best team in this conference, uh, but that's a different talking point. The game against West Virginia, that was, I, I mean, that made me kind of think, well, what's going on here? Is is it just a slump? Is were they playing with so much energy against some poor opponents in the conference after Avery Anderson got hurt? And then the, the two losses against the big boys kind of knocked them down a peg in confidence. I don't know what it was, but they couldn't shoot the ball against West Virginia. John Michael Wright. I mean, I, I was giving him bullets last week. We've been singing his praises. You're going to have off nights. I get it. Oh, of eight from three. Oh, of eight. Asbury's one for five. Bryce Thompson's one for four. I mean, that is two for 17 from your three guards from beyond the arc. You're always going to get beat doing that. I understand it's a road game, but man, that first half, that run West Virginia went on. The, the most concerning thing to me, Carson, and, and this is what I wanted to bring up and get your take on. This team has been able to hang its hat on defense night in and night out, even when the shots aren't falling. This is now three straight contests in which the defense has not shown up. And I think that that is this team's identity because it keeps them in games, even when it's not going at the other end. So the offense, yeah, it is what it is. The shooting was really bad Monday night. But Carson, I think I'm more worried about the defense because that's more what I associate with the identity of this team. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with that because I was I had the stat pulled up. I mean, we're we're used to right the offense struggling. We're used to them not hitting the broadside of a barn offensively. I mean, they shot two of nineteen from three point range, right? That's that's kind of been the worst. Ki- like we've talked so much the last week, Colby, when they were winning about this has kind of been the the vision of Mike Boynton, like the best case scenario of what he's trying to build at Oklahoma State. And I think what we've really seen is, is a regression back to what we've seen over the previous six years for the most part. They were 2 of 19 from three-point range, ice cold. To me, really, you know, they're shooting ebbs and flows, right? It, it's up and it's down. That's something that we're not exactly surprised by. But you're right, Colby. This comes down to defense. This is their calling card. This is what makes them, at certain times this season, a team you do not want to play come March. And over the past three games, they're giving up 90 points a game, 90 and while teams are shooting 55% from the field and 43% from three, that is that is not bad defense, Colby. That is non-existent defense. 
And so they have to figure that out. And again, I, I'm not going to panic over a three game streak, but Colby, we were sitting here talking about not only are they in the tournament, but we're talking about them improving their seed. And one thing I really want to discuss with you before we get into more games and, and looking ahead, <clears throat> since I touched on the bubble, Colby, we do not need to see Oklahoma stay on the bubble. What a time and time again when it comes to Selection Sunday with Oklahoma State. They get hosed. I mean, I'm talking even when they're a high seed. We, we all remember when Marcus Smart had them rolling, they were, what, a four seed? They get a brutal draw against this really good Oregon team that was one of the hottest teams in the country as a 12 seed. I, mean, I think they were a five seed. And that's another matter. OSU shouldn't have been a five that year. But my point being, Colby, if this comes down to a bubble situation and Oklahoma State's hoping to get the benefit of the doubt from the NCAA, well, this could be an even more disastrous end of the season than it's already becoming. No, you're absolutely right. I, I didn't even think about the idea of Oklahoma State just getting shafted once they end up on the bubble, but that's probably what would end up happening. Uh, you, you look at these last three games, Texas Tech is playing much better basketball right now. Uh, nearly beat Oklahoma State in Stillwater a couple of weeks ago. It was two weeks ago today. Oklahoma State barely eked that one out at the end with the, the John Michael Wright play. Um, Texas Tech's playing better basketball. That's your last game. Your next two home games, home against Kansas State and home against Baylor, you've got to split. Carson, because that gets you a, a bigger win too, right? I mean, beating Texas Tech the last game of the season, that's going to be nice. It's also going to be tough. Like I said, down on the road at Lubbock, they're playing good basketball. You've got to split the next two. Guarantee yourself no worse than 8-10 and 10 in conference. Get another ranked win. I, I don't think that Kansas State is invincible. I think that they've shown some signs on the road of struggling. I, I think that you can beat Kansas State on Saturday if you get that defensive identity back. Hopefully it will be a good crowd Saturday afternoon for that one. Baylor, my Monday night. I don't know. I'm not as optimistic about that. Baylor is playing some pretty good basketball at the moment. I, I don't think that it is time to just fully freak out, panic, lose your mind. Like I said, I think Kansas and TCU are the two best teams in the conference. If you want to be glass half full guy, you could say, you know, you're at TCU Saturday. You immediately have to travel to Morgantown, you know, go to Pittsburgh, make the drive, all that stuff on Monday. That That's a tough turnaround. So, I'm not ready to go full panic button. Let's blow this thing up and freak out. But we're right on the verge of this thing coming undone just as they got it put together. And, you know, we, we do have to acknowledge they lost their star senior guard. Um, we know that he has at times been underwhelming, but at times he's been the guy that they can lean on to go get him a bucket. We saw that a couple times this season. It, it's at the point now, Carson, where last time we spoke, I wasn't nervous. I didn't have any nerves about this season, about getting into the tournament. You know, you get there, whatever happens, happens. Now we're at the point where I am nervous because now these games, you are playing for the life of your season. And that is an uncomfortable place to be. Saturday against Kansas State is a big one because I think if you drop the one against Kansas State, then the pressure to win minimum one of the last two ratchets up uh, very intensely and you, you just you don't want that. So I think the game Saturday against Kansas State is the big one, uh, and I think it's very winnable. So they need to go out and do it because if this slump continues, they're going to find themselves on the outside looking in, and that's going to be a tough pill to swallow for this fan base after they went on that run and had themselves just nearly as a lock sitting in that 8-9 game. Uh, it would be a shame for it, for it to all come undone the last couple of weeks of the season. Yeah, it really would. And Kansas State's a team that's kind of been up and down lately, too, although they're coming off two wins against Iowa State and Baylor, which, again, it's just against the Big 12 kind of eating eating its own. Um, you know, 
we talked a little bit about when Avery Anderson got hurt, but they were they were somehow finding ways to win still, Colby. I I really do think they're now seeing kind of the effects of losing Avery Anderson. And look, has, has he been the player we kind of expected him to be throughout his career after that great year with Cade Cunningham? No. But Oklahoma State just doesn't have a ton of depth in the backcourt. They got a lot of big guys. Uh, they got a lot of athleticism in the frontcourt. Uh, they don't have a lot of that in the backcourt. And they had 18 turnovers against West Virginia. And I think we're really starting to see the effects of of no Avery Anderson. But, Colby, that, that's not changing. Um, but one thing that, that's really changed over the last – uh, th- two, three games is the lack of Caleb Boone. I mean, he only 122 seconds into the game against West Virginia, he's got two fouls. And Mike Boynton proceeded to sit him most of the game to where it almost felt like Mike Boynton forgot he could put him back in the game. I know he had some turnovers as well, but uh, in the past two games, Boone has played 15 minutes, had seven points, no rebounds, five turnovers, eight fouls. And you know what this reminds me of, Colby? And I'm gonna I'm gonna test your your youth here. <laughs> do, do, and, and I think this this plays into your your hands actually. Do you remember how effective and how important Marshall Moses was to that team Absolutely. when he played there? Absolutely, I do. Yes, he was a stud. How many times were you watching a game that he got two early fouls and OSU just gets run off the floor and and Travis Ford just knew that if Marshall Moses got in foul trouble, they were shot. I mean, that this reminds me so much of that. Marshall Moses, by his senior year, he was unguardable, but he always seemed to pick up an early foul or two or three to where the team could never quite get off the block. And if you go back and look, Marshall Moses' career stats aren't that impressive. But if I'm, I have his reference page pulled up here, Colby. And if you go by per 40 minutes, which people know that stat, if you extrapolate – the, the amount of playing time per 40 minutes, he's he would have averaged 20 and 10. I mean, he was that good his last year. And that's really what Caleb Boone has become at Oklahoma State this year. He has been the guy. When he's on Colby, they can beat anybody. When he's sitting over there on the bench, they can get run out of the gym. And that's exactly what's happened the last two, three games. No, you're absolutely right. He's got to be out there. Uh, and, and that's – uh, a good addition by you to pull up the Marshall Moses stats. That's crazy that he would have been a 10, 20 and 10 guy per 40. He was a stud and they were different when he was out there. And this team's different when Caleb's out there. Not only that, the identity of this team was starting to become Caleb Musa and Woody, right? You start Caleb and Woody, those guys are, are rocking and rolling. You bring Musa in off the bench as just a defensive juggernaut. You can throw lobs to him, all that good stuff. We remember the, the last Bedlam win down in Norman. That was uh, Lob Stilly down there, just throwing it up to Caleb Boone and Musa Cisse all game. And that's gone away as Caleb Boone has gone away. So they're going to need a big performance from him on Saturday. Kansas State, we mentioned, they are playing good basketball, Carson. They're coming off two wins. They have not won a road conference game since January 7th. At Baylor, they have lost. Uh, let's see, that's going to be one, two, three, four, five consecutive road conference games, including the two most recent in Lubbock and in Norman. Uh, and they got boat raced by OU a couple of weekends ago. Um, pardon me, a couple of weeks ago, it was on a Tuesday. They got just destroyed by OU. So Kansas State has struggled on the road. I still think that game's winnable. But yes, Caleb needs to be out there. You need to be able to rely on your bigs to dominate the game inside. Not only uh, scoring, but also rebound, o- rebounding. Oklahoma State gets out-rebounded by West Virginia the other night. And Caleb Boone being on the bench. Uh, I mean, he finished the game with zero rebounds. That's just, that's not going to work. So he needs to stay out of foul trouble. He needs to stay out of there. I 
I am cautiously optimistic about this game Saturday. Um, you know, you get in a slump, you turn it around, you win a couple. Uh, I feel like that could be the case Saturday. But, uh, man, if I'm wrong, then this thing's going to go south in a hurry. Can you believe the win against Iowa State was, what, 10 days ago? I mean, <laughs> that that that's hard to believe. I mean, that's how quickly this, this thing has, has flipped its head. And you're right. I So they, they went from legitimately locked in to a seven or an eight seed to fully back on the bubble now. And I'm with you. I, I do. I'm not hitting the panic button completely. If you get Caleb Boone out there for his full allotted minutes, I think, I think things will, will figure themselves out. But um, man, I did not expect to be talking about this team back squarely on the NCAA bubble. And that's, that's seemingly the position they're in. So um, anything else on men's basketball before we get to bullets and BBs? And then we can get to some uh, football and other related news. Yeah, just if anybody was wondering right Hold now. Hold on, where do, they, where do they sit on Lenardi's bubble list? That's, that's what I meant to ask you before we wrap up. That's where I was going. We were on the same page. Uh, Lunardi currently has Oklahoma State as an 11 seed playing on Tuesday night in Dayton. Um, so they've got West, he's got West Virginia sitting as a 12 seed right now. By the way, just for fun, he got TCU as a six seed right now. I pity the three seed that winds up with TCU in their region as a six uh, because TCU is going to run a three seed off the floor if they end up as a six. Oh, I I, I totally believe. That. I mean, the, the Big 12 Player of the Year candidate. Uh, I mean, he he hasn't played the last. He, of course, he comes back in time for Oklahoma State. I mean, I that's just. You, I knew it last Monday. I told you. I said Mike Miles is going to be back Saturday. TCU is going to win that game. I actually picked Oklahoma State to beat Kansas, but I did not feel good about that TCU game at all. Mike Miles is so good. I mean, I'm going to remember you said that when I'm filling out my bracket. I mean, he's the preseason Big 12 Player of the Year. Uh, he had 15 points uh, after coming back from a knee injury. So, like, you know, of course. Of course, he comes back for Oklahoma State when the, when they're reeling. But um, no, it's going to be it's going to be bubble watch. And again, I just if you're thinking the NCAA and that committee will ever give up, not only just give Oklahoma State the seed that they they rightfully deserve, but to give them even a shred of benefit of the doubt, we just haven't seen it. And again, I, I will always go back, let alone the year that they didn't get in, uh, and, and Trey Young and that that horrible OU team got in. I always go back to that Marcus Smart team <laughs> that almost won the Big 12 that got a five seed instead of, you know, it, it, a lot of most projections had them at like a four, at least maybe even a three in some cases. And so they, they of course, get a five against by far the toughest 12 uh, we've seen in, in quite some time up to that point. So, again, I I would encourage Oklahoma State to win <laughs> and keep winning to, to not put it in their hands. Uh, what do you got for me on uh, bullets and BBs, Colby? Bullets and BBs. I'm going to give a bullet, Carson. Um, are, are you wanting specifically basketball, or can I can I mix it up here? You can go anywhere. Uh, okay, I would like to give a bullet. It was a rough weekend. It was a rough opening weekend for Oklahoma State baseball. Pitching staff uh, did not fare well against Vanderbilt, against Arkansas, but they bounced back incredibly well. Cal Baptist, not certainly the powers of those two that I just mentioned, but 2 nothing win last night at O'Brate Stadium. Obviously a game that you can't drop after the poor weekend. And five Oklahoma State pitchers combined for a no-hit effort, 15 strikeouts, walked one. Uh, another player was hit by a pitch, so that ruined the perfect game, the walk and the hit by pitch. Uh, but after giving up 32 runs in three games over the weekend to go out and no-hit Cal Baptist last night, Combined no-hitter again, the, the the true no-hitter in baseball is mostly a thing of the past as coaches, staffs try to limit the pitches that guys are throwing. Uh, but combined no-hitters, still cool, and a good job by the, the squad last night. 
Yep, I love it. Um, I'm going to go bullet and slight BB. My bullet goes to J.C. Hoyt, OSU women's basketball coach. Uh, the reason I say slight BB is last week the Naismith Women's College Coach of the Year Awards were announced for its finalists. Uh, a lot of names most people in the sport of women's basketball are familiar with, but uh, J.C. Hoyt was not mentioned, which, again, is completely egregious. I mean, Oklahoma State is tied for third in the Big 12. Uh, they swept Baylor. Uh, they had their 20th win of the season, and they won nine games last year. I mean, how in the world is J.C. Hoyt not on the National Coach of the Year list? I, and I think, Colby, you and I haven't talked enough about her. I will fully admit that. We've had so much going on with, you know, college football and the networks and potential coaching changes and the, the men's basketball roller coaster that it is. We haven't given J.C. Hoyt her due. And I got, I got to credit Chad Weiberg and Dr. Shrum, Dr. Casey Shrum, for what a genius hire this has been. I mean, you talk about year one making an impact. And I think this is where some of the frustration comes in with Mike Boynton being year six. And I know J.C. Hoyt has a ton of super seniors. She, she hit up the portal a ton, a lot of portal, a lot of, a lot of new faces that she revamped the roster quickly. And that's kind of the point, right? Basketball is not football. It does not take long to start hitting the ground running. It does not take long to revamp a roster and start winning. Just look at Kansas State with their new head coach in men's basketball. And you got to commend J.C. Hoyt for the job she's done. It's been remarkable. I think she's big-time coach. Uh, she dresses well, uniform height. She gets a bullet. Her detractors get a BB Colby, and she's getting the uniform Heisman. She's rocking the orange pants about every game. Looks great. Uniform Heisman and a bullet for J.C. Hoyt. She is crushing it for OSU women's basketball. That's a good one. That's a great one, actually. Um, they they really deserve more credit um, from us, too. They, they've been unbelievable. She's done a great job. Uh, yeah, that, that's a good one right there. Actually, Carson, the BBs that I want to give are all basketball-related BBs, things that we've already talked about. So I'm going to audible, and I'm going to give another bullet as the spring sports have gotten underway. I'm going to give it to Oklahoma State softball. They go down to Clearwater, Florida, the Clearwater Invitational, win five games, 5-0. and oh. They only played seven innings once. The third game against Virginia Tech, they won 10-9. to nine. Every other game uh, was played in five or six innings, and Oklahoma State ended up winning in a run rule. And more specifically, Kylie Naomi went 7-for-12 in Florida, Carson, she hit four home runs, 12 RBIs. 12 RBIs in 12 at-bats uh, this weekend for Kylie Naomi. It feels like she has been around forever, um, and she is awesome. I hope that she has four more years of eligibility with her COVID years um, because she's great. This team's fun to watch. Uh, Kelly, Kelly Maxwell was good again, as always. So Oklahoma State softball kind of picking up where they left off. Yeah, big time. I mean, I'm really looking forward to this this spring season. It's going to be big time. I think again, OSU baseball. I think serious contenders to uh, not only win the Big Twelve, but have some make some noise in Omaha if they can get there. And softball again, they were right there for a national championship, and it's going to be them and OU again. So I, I can't wait. OU did lose. Did you see OU softball lost, Colby? They're not. No, they're not the total juggernaut they've been. Thank you, my BB. Take the BB, Sooners. <laughs> well. They can't win every single game, I guess. We'll, we'll, I'll cut them a little bit of slack because they've been so incredible. But, uh, again, softball is going to be so much fun to watch at, at Oklahoma State. Uh, my, my BB, the little Pac-12 that could. I mean, Pac-12 <laughs> commissioners, uh, conference board members put out this, frankly, ridiculous statement. The 10 Pac-12 universities look forward to consummating successful media rights in the very near future. 
And in the 48 hours since they sent that tweet, Fox is out. CBS and Turner is out. Amazon likely out. It's ESPN who is downsizing or Apple for the Pac-12 media rights. And that, that comes from Jamie Plunkett, who tweeted that out, which is a great little factoid there. And that's true. That's where they stand now with with uh, television rights. After all these, as I, as I mentioned, Stuart Mandel's of the world, all these hoity-toity West Coast national writers who think flyover country is beneath them. Colby, the Pac-12 is going to end up on the CW with Liv. They're going to be in between episodes of Seventh Heaven is where the Pac-12 football is going to be. Is this not just everything you and I have been trying to say in terms of who's a more viable conference for television? We looked at the ratings. We've been talking about this for seemingly years now since OU and Texas left. Isn't this just chef's kiss amazing to see the Pac-12 capitulate? And even, I say capitulate, to throw in the word consummate. They had people actually look at this statement and use that word, Colby. I just, I loved it, and it deserves all the beatings. It is incredible. The Pac-12 deserves every BB. That is a good one. I actually saw uh, some Twitter discourse. I saw Stuart Mandel tweeting about Apple being the new player, the the mysterious third player that was hopping in here. He he has been so pathetic with this these Pac-12 TV negotiations. There's this idea, I think, out in Pac-12 world that, that the Big 12 just jumped the line. And that's why the Pac-12 isn't getting a TV deal, because the Big 12 jumped the line. That is a load of crap. The reason the Big 12 got a TV deal before the Pac-12, it's a better product. You think these these networks are going to negotiate with what they think is an, an inferior product and spend their money there before they go get something else? No, they got the Big 12 because they wanted the Big 12. They're not getting the Pac-12 because they don't want the Pac-12 for a lot of reasons. Number one, there are no big draws once USC and UCLA leave. That's your that's your LA market right there. That's your LA market. They're going to the Big Ten. Oregon and Washington are kind of your brands. That's super Northwest. That is, man, that, that's a tough sell. Um, your your games don't end. Your your football games don't end sometimes till 1 a.m., 2 a.m. on the East Coast. N- nobody's watching that late. I'll be very curious to see what happens if they end up going somewhere like Apple, where they're not uh, beholden to traditional TV times, if they start getting put in more time-friendly slots where people can actually watch. But, man, the reason the the Pac-12 doesn't have a TV deal right now, the product's not very good. They turned their nose up at the Big 12 whenever they had a chance to come get schools because they thought that they were too good for the Big 12, and now they're paying the price, literally. They are losing money because they have done nothing to improve their conference. Every other conference has done something to solidify itself. Every other conference, Power 5, except the Pac-12. They have sat on their hands. They've let everybody else do everything because they had this air of superiority floating around them as if to say, oh, you all can do what you want. We are the Pac-12. We will be taken care of. That is not how this works. And they are getting left out in the cold. And Carson, they made their own bed. And and if the Big 12 goes and poaches a couple of their schools, I won't be surprised because the Pac-12 really has themselves in a pickle right now. Yeah, I mean, you got the Pac-12 talking about, like, rice. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, the Pac-12 seriously is talking about Rice University. A school? That's school. where they're at right now. The school, okay. Yeah, not 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 what they're going to eat for dinner tonight. I'm talking about Rice University in Houston, Texas, and, and SMU. I mean, you want to talk about grasping rice. at straws. Pallet there, yeah. Um, have, have they really thrown out Rice? I didn't see that. Yeah, it got thrown out on me on social, you know, it's speculation, just like all this conference realignment stuff is, but but literally rice got thrown out there in addition to like 
SMU and like there was one other school I'm not thinking of in the moment. Oh, San Diego State. Like, I mean, if that's where you're at, just just disband. And and I'm sorry if I'm one of these Pac-12 schools, I'm I'm wanting those Big 12 checks any way I can get them. I, I am so done, so out of there. But I think as as hoity and toity as they are, maybe maybe they'll stay together. I don't know. We'll see. Quack quack, Carson. Quack quack. Well, I would love that. Go get the uh, Sign me up. Go get. Uh, a guy who probably would, deserves a bullet is Brian Nardo, the new defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State. His contract information's out. OSU Max did an interview with him. He looks even younger in person on those interviews than um, than he did in some of the photos they released of him when they hired him. But uh, he's slated to make six hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars, which, again, this was always my my big sticking point when they hired Mike Yersich. I mean, he was making probably, gosh, back then, sixty grand at Shippensburg, and that might be high. And he comes in and makes five hundred grand. And Brian Nardo's making six fifty after making, I think, it was reported he made ninety at uh, his previous stop at Gannon University. And I know, and again, this has been a sticking point for me. And I know it's a, just a gigantic jump that's probably not, you know, accurate for his level of expertise. But it, they did, they did kind of finagle this, Colby, where he's co-defensive coordinator with Jim Bob Clements, who makes six hundred thousand dollars. It'd be kind of weird to have your co DC making six hundred and Brian Nardo making two fifty. If, if, if for that, for just as an example. So while I do think he's wildly overpaid given his experience, and I don't think you pay someone based on well, if he has a good year, some other school will come get him. You don't, you don't do that. You don't pay someone based on being scared someone's going to hire them away. Uh, but I, I will. I will bend a little on this, Colby, with the fact that Jim Bob is the co-DC and he's making 600. Yeah, I, I do think it's tough because there is a market, right? And the market kind of is what the market is. I mean, I'm, I'm a desk editor with GolfChannel.com. If, if Jim Nance retires and CBS comes and says, uh, hey, man, you want to come do Jim Nance's job? They're not going to offer me 50K a year. They're not going to offer me what Jim Nance is making, but they're not going to offer me 50K a year either. They're going to give me something in the market. They didn't offer him what Derek Mason was making. Derek Mason was making 1.1. Jim Knowles was offered more than that. So they're not giving him what the previous guys got. He's not a proven commodity. He has done it at the lower level. Need to see him do it at this level. If he does, he'll get pay raises. But I, I don't get too worked up uh, about these assistant salaries. Now, if it came out that he was making $1.5 million, I'd be sitting here saying, how in the hell did that money show up? Where was it whenever we needed it for Jim Knowles? All those good things. But six hundred and fifty, dollars DC is making six hundred dollars a year. I, I just think... Yes, it's easy to say he was making 90 there. You're giving him an opportunity, pay him 200, something like that. But I just don't think the market dictates that because there is so much money in college football that I just think at the power five level, I mean, even bringing somebody in from Gannon University, it's very hard to pay a coordinator less than that. It it just is. Those are the markets these days. That's the money these days. And I think that we just have to wrap our minds around the fact that no matter where you go get these from guys from, no matter where you find them, Google, YouTube, doesn't matter. Um, the market is kind of what the market is for these guys who are just coming into the Power 5 level, and I think that's about where Brian Nardo slots in. No, and I, I think that's totally fair. I think the way you laid it out is totally true. And you look at what Tim Duffy's making. He just coaches the secondary, and he's making five fifty, dollars uh, $550,000. So that, that, that kind of explains what you're saying, and that there's a market just for assistant coaches in college football, and that's that's the going rate, and I, I certainly understand that. And I think the flip side of the coin of what I was saying is you remember when Oklahoma State hired Brad Underwood, he was wildly underpaid considering what the other coaches in the Big 12 made, but 
those other coaches in the Big 12 <laughs> was a murderer's row at that time. I mean, he had Long Kruger still at Oklahoma. I think, I think every single coach in the Big 12 at that point had been to at least a Sweet 16, maybe even Elite Eight, if I remember correctly. It was that level of coaches in the in the conference. But you pay him $1 million when most of the coaches are making three. Well, what happens? He, Brad Underwood has a great first season, makes the tournament. Boom, gone because he wanted more money. So that that's kind of the flip side of the coin of what I'm saying is you gotta you gotta pay mark the going rate. And I, I think you've you've laid that out pretty well. And uh one more note is uh they also released the information on Casey Dunn. He's in the second year of his deal, a three year deal, making nine hundred thousand. Uh, all other on field assistants are on two year contracts. And uh strength and conditioning coach Rob Glass, he's on a five year deal. No no two year deals for body by glass. So I thought that was uh some interesting information that came out this week. Only five for Rob Glass? Only five? I mean, if anyone deserves a lifetime contract, isn't it him? Doesn't he deserve the same rollover contract that Mike Gundy has? He is the one guy, and I don't know if it's like this at other universities, but he is the one guy who throughout his tenure at Oklahoma State has just had almost unanimous approval from everywhere. And that just seems hard to do in the, the social media era. Just everybody has opinions. Everybody has a take. There's always a hater somewhere. You don't see too many strength and conditioning coach haters. Uh, and I certainly don't know that I've seen any for Rob Glass. No. And again, I think he will go down as, gosh, one of the most important hires Mike Gundy's made. And he's certainly in the running to be the most important. I think he's, I mean, he's widely regarded as maybe the best strength and conditioning coach in the in the country, and and he's stuck with Mike since day one. I think that's I think that says a lot about Mike Gundy, the person, uh, for a strength coach to to stick with him that long because they do they do bounce around just like assistant coaches in in college football. I mean, Alabama has had that same one for a while, but even, I think even he left recently uh, to go to Georgia. So they they do bounce around somewhat. But um, again, Rob Glass has been integral. To, to Mike Gundy's success. So good good for him. And again, uh, I think, Colby, I think we can maybe put a bow on there being coaching changes. It certainly doesn't seem that way. Um, what do you – I mean, I don't even know if that's a question. I think that's more of a statement. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the staff today is the staff September 1st. I think this is the staff um, going to the season. Uh, I'll say this. Boy, I really hope Alan Bowman is good. I really hope he's a stud. <laughs> Well, he needs to be, and he needs to stay healthy. Um, again, Oklahoma State did pretty well in the portal. It's just, I mean, if you're relying on Alan Bowman to stay healthy, and again, a couple of his injuries are not nagging. They're not, you know, re-injuries. They're kind of of the freak variety. But um, if you're relying on him to stay healthy, it's uh, it's nail-biting time. So uh, one thing I also wanted to hit on real quick before we get out of here, Colby, uh, Trace Ford, Oklahoma, have met with the media. OU, interestingly, Colby, is letting people – I say people letting the media talk to every player on campus. They're not doing the the first year BS that has now prevalent in college football where they don't let first year players talk. And uh, he spoke at length uh, and there's an article on pistols firing about it. He said about Oklahoma trace Ford, I like the culture here. It's like the Clemson culture, very family oriented. I looked at the facts, not the emotions. And I saw where I'd be the best fit. And I thought this was the place for me. I grew up going to Oklahoma game liked OU and I just went with it and kind of where I've landed on this all along Colby is like Trace Ford again has been injured um if he's cashing in in any way in NIL more power to him and I, I just think Colby this is something we're going to start seeing in every sport top to bottom 
in the Big 12 with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. He's not – I mean, there's – heck, there's a baseball player right now, a starting pitcher for Oklahoma that has transferred from Oklahoma State. He's not even the first one to do it. And this is going to become way more normal. It's just he's the first one to do it for the Oklahoma State football team. And I think that's kind of where a lot of the hard feelings are from Oklahoma State fans. And I think they have a right to have hard feelings on someone joining their arch rival. I'm not saying they don't. But I, I just think five years from now, Colby, if things stay the same in terms of the transfer rules, this is going to be super common with guys, especially guys that are from the state of Oklahoma. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I think that at some point it will become less of a hot-button issue. Obviously, he's the first one in the new portal era to do it. It's just I, – I don't know, man. It, is it a lame take for me to just say I, I just don't care what Trace Ford is saying down there in Norman? Like, <laughs> he, he's not an Oklahoma State Cowboy anymore. He's, he's an OU football player. He's going to cater to the OU fan base now. He's going to, to show all the love in the world to OU. He's going to hype up Bedlam like – that's what he's going to do because he's now a Sooner. So I, I've accepted it. It is what it is. You know, I, obviously, I, I'm not sitting here hoping that he goes All-American this year because that means OU probably had a great year. And I don't like it when OU wins football games. Their fan base is insufferable. So I, I hope Oklahoma State wins Bedlam. Uh, I, I hope he doesn't get close to Alan Bowman. But as far as just him talking down in Norman, just doesn't doesn't really register for me. I, I'm not that interested in it. He's an OU football player. He's going to say good things about OU football. It just kind of is what it is. I just I, I'm at a point now where I'm ready to ignore Trace Ford until Bedlam. I I don't know if many people feel the same way, but that's kind of where I'm at. No, I'm good with that. I I take the same approach. Like you don't play at Oklahoma State anymore. Don't care. You might as well be Deshaun White, the linebacker at Oklahoma. Like that's that's kind of who you are. And and I do wonder what kind of year he'll have. If he'll, I mean, he wasn't a full-time starter at Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma's recruited very well. I, I'm curious to see how much he's utilized and, and, and if they, in Oklahoma is really is the bit, best fit for him. That, that, I'm, that I question. I question that a great deal. I mean, they, they brought in the, the transfer from Indiana who was like in the top 10 of all transfer portal guys. He's an edge rusher. And, again, I'm not saying he won't play. I just – I really do question if, if Oklahoma was the best place for him in order of – when it comes to playing time and that remains to be seen, but I think you're right. I think what he says is we can now kind of put to bed. It was just his first opportunity to really, to really speak about it. So uh, Colby, anything else before we get out of here? Oh, not off the top of my head. No, we've got uh, Oklahoma state and Kansas state on Saturday. Do you have an official prediction? Do you feel good? Do you feel bad? I feel terrible, but <laughs> back in, back in Gallagher, Iba, I think this is, you know, a real chance for Oklahoma State's fans who, who go to, uh, it's, you know, it's a one o'clock game. It's time to affect the outcome. You want this team in the tournament? You want them to, to kind of lock in their position, go to the game, make some noise, and they've made a real difference this season. They really have. Um, so I think Oklahoma State keeps Caleb Boone on the floor. I think they really reevaluate how much they want to keep him off if he gets an early foul trouble. That's been just clear as day. You have to get him out there and let him foul out as opposed to just essentially fouling him out yourself. It happened uh, lately. Uh, I think Caleb Boone stays on the floor. I think Kansas State could be had in Stillwater, so I'll pick an Oklahoma State win. Yeah, Oklahoma State is – Oklahoma State's been really good at home. The Kansas loss last week, yeah, that happens. That's Kansas. Uh, the last home loss for Oklahoma State in conference play, January 7th. Coincidentally, that is the last day that uh, Kansas State won a conference road game. 
Home road makes a difference. I, I know people uh, don't want to hear it after the loss to West Virginia the other night. Home road makes a difference. I hope Gallagher I was rocking, but even a decent atmosphere, I think it will be a good game. Uh, and I'm I'm hopeful that Oklahoma State makes more plays in the last three minutes. But you you've got to have your guys out there. You just you you can't get six minutes. Three points, no rebounds from Caleb Boone. That can't happen. Uh, so get the guys out there. Carson, maybe it's the fan in me. Maybe it's because they need it so badly. Maybe it's because they're at home. They're a good home team. Um, for whatever the reasons are, I think Oklahoma State gets back in the win column on Saturday, which will be a much-needed relief for this fan base, and I'm sure that team, and I'm sure that coach as well. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting down the stretch. I'm, I'm very curious to see – like, what do you think it takes for them to get in the tournament conference record-wise? I know we've talked about this on past, but I think, I think it's th- things have changed dramatically since the last time we discussed it. What do you what do you think, and and what do you think gets them in? Uh, I think if they win one of the next two games against a more highly ranked opponent, that eight and ten would probably do the trick. If they lose the next two games and then they beat Texas Tech, I don't know that eight and ten does the trick. The the quality of win matters. Um, so that, I don't know that that's necessarily fit sitting. I, I think you've got to win one of these next two. I really, I think you have to win one of these next two to get in the tourney. Uh, if you win one of these next two, I think you're in, assuming you don't just totally lay an egg in the conference tournament, but you have made me thoroughly nervous today with your reminder that the NCAA looks for every possible way to keep Oklahoma state out, uh, and to just keep Oklahoma state under the foot, uh, uh or pardon me under their boot. So, um, yeah, I, I would say win one of the next two and you're probably in. Do you think I'm I'm being optimistic there? No, I, I think that's totally fair. And I, I think that does get them in. I just I think it probably gets them in, in the scenario you laid out with Joe Lenardi, where you're playing that that first weekend as, you know, a very high seed or a very do you call it a high seed or a low seed? That has always confused me. I call it a, a big low, number. I call it a low seed because I mean the one seed, that's the highest seed you can achieve. That's the highest rate. Yeah. Um, but I yeah, it's it's kind of semantic. We'll call it a bad seed. How about that? Bad seed. The worst seed you get. <laughs> hey, here's a question for you before we get out of here. Would you rather be the 11 seed playing on Tuesday in Dayton, so you've got to play into the 64, or would you rather be the 12 seed, but theoretically you're having to play a better team in the first round? Oh, give me the 12. I don't want to play the first four in just to get in the tournament. you got to win – Twice just to get out of the first round. Heck no. I, give me the give me the 12 seed because we see 12s beat fives all the time too. Yeah, I think I'm right. I would prefer the 12. And that's it's a weird system that they've created with the expansion of the tournament where it's like, why, why would you want to be the 11? Why would you want to have to play that extra game? Uh, I guess the counter argument to that could be, Carson, every year one of those 11s that plays on Tuesday just stays hot because they're in a rhythm. They win that first tournament game. They get it true. your belt. Um, so I don't know. It's probably 50-50. If Oklahoma State ends up the 11 playing on Tuesday, I'll be happy. At this point, uh, I, I would just like to go dancing. Well, and it's it's like the um, – it's kind of a flaw similar to you'd rather be a 10 than an 8 or a 9 because you don't have to play the one seed in the second round. I mean, that's that's just kind of the quirks of the the numbering system in a bracket. And it, And – I just hope I'm not coming across as some mega Homer OSU fan who thinks that the selection committee just is out to get Oklahoma State. I'm dealing with facts here. I mean, we can go year – if someone wants to challenge me on this, we can go year by year, look at their resumes versus versus other teams. And I don't think at any point Oklahoma State has been given the right seed. They've been given the worst seed let alone be given the benefit of the doubt. So this isn't just Johnny Homer 
putting on his his uh, orange jumpsuit and, and crying crying wolf here. This is this has been tried and true, and that's before we even get into how much the NCAA has hosed Oklahoma State basketball uh, in the more recent times. But um, but yes, I'm when they lost to West Virginia, Colby. That's where my mind went. That's where it's going to be throughout the rest of the regular season. So we better buckle up. No doubt about it. Uh, good stuff. Congrats again on the engagement. That's big time. Thanks so much, man. I'm, I'm very happy. And um, thanks for everyone for listening to the podcast. And uh, Colby, I, I do appreciate it. It's an exciting time. I know you're, you're thrilled with your little baby girl. And, uh, you know, life, life's uh, coming at me pretty fast right now. So it's, it's been pretty exciting, pretty much a whirlwind uh, time for me. But um, I'm thrilled. I, I really am. So I appreciate you saying that. Yep, love that for you. Appreciate everybody listening. If you're going to Gallagher-Iba on Saturday, be loud. Be loud. Need that one or the one on Monday. We'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, go folks.